3: The Large Nerdron Collider Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio.
4: Hey everybody, welcome to the Large Nerdron Collider Podcast, a podcast that's all about the geeky things happening in the world around us and how very excited we are about them. I'm Ariel Caston, and with me is the... I don't know, I don't have a good... Uh, subtitle for him this time. So just, you know, the awesome Jonathan Strickland.
3: (laughs) I'm here with a corny copia of geeky news.
4: There you go. I I gifted all of my creativity to you for that. No,
3: (laughs) (laughs) it was a generous gift. And in return, I have a gift for you, Ariel. It's a question. Okay, so we are in the uh, the thankful season here in the United States. And so my question to you is, what is something geeky for which you are thankful?
4: Oh, this is one of the ones you should have given me a, a um, heads up on, Jonathan, just because I am thankful for so many geeky things.
3: Well, that should make it easy. You just pick one.
4: Okay, yeah, but you know what's the worst thing for me? Decision making. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think this year specifically, um, I'm just really thankful that uh, I was able to spend an early Thanksgiving with my family, and that I'll be able to spend uh, Thanksgiving proper with a bunch of my geeky friends playing geeky games. You know, we didn't get to do that last year. They're all vaccinated. They're all being super careful. We're, you know, we we put kind of rules in place so that this would be a safe gathering but um i'm just excited to see all these faces that i haven't seen in a good while um so that's what i'm most thankful for uh i guess secondly would just be um that we're finally getting new geek media back (laughs) so i'm not watching reruns of everything although i do like watching reruns what about you
3: i was gonna say i was thankful for large nerdrun collider and getting a chance to do a show with one of my best friends in the world, but well, you know, that, that all sounds good too.
4: I mean, no, see, of course I'm thankful for Large neuron Collider and doing a show with my best friend. You know that, that's a given, but you know, it is thankful season. And I should say that more often. I'm thankful for you, Jonathan.
3: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thankful for passive aggressive attacks that get exactly what I want. <laughs> well, also, I'm, I'm thankful for you, Ariel. Oh,
4: shucks. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad. And now that we've uh, probably turn to everybody's stomachs with our sweet uh, thankfulness.
3: <laughs> Let's talk about some news.
4: Yeah. Or, or do you have something else that you're actually thankful for that you'd like to talk about? You know
3: about? what? Uh, I'm thankful for lots of stuff. Like I'm thankful for the fact that things, things in the geek sphere are, I think changing for the better. Like mm-hmm. I used to, I, you know, I of course I come from the seventies and eighties, right? Those are, that's when I was growing up and During that time, there was this sort of uh, idolization of nerddom that was a very negative stereotype, actually. And I think it also, uh, by extension, promoted other negative stereotypes, things that I think were ultimately harmful. Mm -hmm. And uh, nostalgia often makes us view those things and not realize sort of the harm that they potentially could cause. And as we grow more aware of that and we start to build the geek properties of the future, we can do so with more of, uh, of awareness about that sort of stuff and to make things that people can love and people can bond over and people can be passionate about and excited about that don't have those kind of harmful edges to them that exclude others or they other, other people, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I think about all the stuff in the eighties and uh, there's just so much of that content that was presented as mainstream entertainment that was harmful in some way or another. I am just glad to see that kind of go away. And I know that gets a little soapboxy, but it just, it's nice to be able to go to bed at the end of the day, thinking about the geeky stuff you love and not feel gross about it. (laughs) Yeah,
4: no, I I get that, you know, and, and, It it can be a little soapboxy, certainly, and can certainly seem that way to some people. But on The Large and Collider, we are and always have been about, you know, the geeky things that everybody loves, and that doesn't fit into one tiny box, and it should be... We should share that love with everybody. So, and make make them feel accepted the way that we feel accepted. So, I do want to throw in one more thing. I think our producer, Tari, is going to be thankful for this episode, because we're going to keep it shorter... um, So that she doesn't have to work over the Thanksgiving holiday. So just to give you all a heads up on that.
3: Yes, we uh, we are going to cut out what would normally be the middle section. Just assume that we talked about something geeky and I spent the entire time complaining. And now let's go to the news.
4: All right. So the first thing that we wanted to talk about was this Spider-Man No Way Home trailer that dropped last week. Uh, while while Jonathan was in Disney or on his way, I'm not exactly sure about the timing, um, and our thoughts on it. So I will let you go first, Jonathan. Have you watched it? And what are your thoughts?
3: I did watch it. Uh, I thought it was entertaining. I mean, it's, it, it, this one clearly goes beyond the surprise. Oh my gosh. I can't believe they did that element of the initial teaser where we got to see Doc Ock. Then we got to had a had a teaser of a of a, a pumpkin bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, but this time we actually see villains uh, fully like we see Electro, we see Doc Ock, we see Green Goblin, we see the lizard we see and Sandman. there's more Expl. Sandman. Was it was, was think, Sandman in it? I, thought, I didn't even see him.
4: I thought maybe I'm just, it's, maybe it's, it's wishful thinking.
3: It's <laughs> entirely possible, but I didn't <laughs> notice him. But that doesn't mean he wasn't there. But, um, you know, we, and there was confirmation that Willem Dafoe is, is, uh, Green Goblin and that, uh, Marvel slash Sony kept it secret to the point that, that Spidey himself wasn't aware that Willem Dafoe was in the movie.
4: Well, I, I mean, that's, it's funny to me because on the one hand, we know that Tom Holland is notoriously bad at keeping secrets, right? Uh, yeah. It's, it's been in the news. Tom Holland, uh, for those people who don't follow super closely is the guy who plays Spider-Man. And yeah, you just, you tell him what's happening and he's going to accidentally say something about it. He shouldn't say it's happened multiple times in interviews and things like that. It's,
3: it's why they always pair him with someone else. Typically Benedict Cumberbatch to kind of be the the babysitter.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's an adult, but yeah. Uh, Mark
3: Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo ends up getting the same treatment by the way, because he has the same issue.
4: <laughs> Which, you know, I get it. You're excited about it, you know? Um, but it's funny because a lot of us assumed that it was already happening. So I, I wonder how many fans figured it out before Tom Holland. <laughs> um,
3: well, well, there were there were people who suggested that perhaps the uh, voice of the Green Goblin was provided by James Franco as opposed to Willem Dafoe, who played uh, but
4: the Green Goblin's son. And yes, in the Tobey Maguire. Uh,
3: so, so it looks like it looks like that's uh, uh you know. Now we we can say for certain that Willem Dafoe is in it as Green Goblin, which is great. I mean, it's, it's uh, interesting to see the trailer. I'm excited to see it. I am curious if this is really going to be the last Tom Holland as Peter Parker Spider-Man movie that's been hinted a couple of times. Um, With Tom Holland himself saying it might be time for Miles Morales to pick up the mantle, but uh, there's no – I haven't seen any confirmation on that.
4: I mean I don't think we will till after this movie because they don't want to spoil the end, right? So uh, a couple of things. One, I want to say I'm really excited to get to see a revised version of Electro played by Jamie Foxx because that got panned in the second Andrew Garfield Spider-Man
3: it was um, terrible. That's why. I
4: didn't watch it. But Jamie Foxx so is bad. a great actor, and so I'm excited to give him another chance to play this villain in um, a series that maybe handles the villains a little bit better. Um, maybe. We'll, we'll have to see. You know, I am all for a Miles Morales movie. Uh, super – you know, I loved Into the Spider-Verse, and I. I – you can only watch uncle Ben die so many times. Right. I'm I'm glad that this current iteration of Spider-Man didn't really start there because we've seen it enough. Um, but uh, on the one hand, like I want miles Morales on the other hand, I want a happy ending to this movie. I don't, the thing I like about the current Spider-Man movies is they're so much fun and I don't want this one to be super bleak.
3: Yeah. I, well, I mean, there are definitely some Spider-Man storylines in the comics, and I know you know this, Ariel, that have bummer endings. So we'll have to see. Uh, it would it would surprise me if they left this on a sad note. I mean, there might be kind of a bittersweet one where Peter Parker has decided to hang up the suit or something. But uh, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. One thing we don't have to wait and see for anymore is Ghostbusters Afterlife because that's out in theaters now. Yeah. And uh, it did fairly well on its opening weekend.
4: Yeah, uh, it made two million less than the 2016 all-female version of Ghostbusters, but it also cost a fraction of the cost to make it. So,
3: well, and also the 2016 better. Ghostbusters came out in a year that didn't have a pandemic.
4: That's true. That's true. Um, so I was kind of worried because all of the like pre-reviews of Ghostbusters afterlife were saying like, Oh, this either, this is not great and they missed the mark or, Oh, it was good until it wasn't. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I have, you know, I'm not gonna, I haven't gone to the theater for it. You know, we might, I might get some friends to rent like a theater room for it, but, um, not before I have a bunch of people over for Thanksgiving, but you know, I, I was like, well, how much of that is critical and how much of that is people who truly, truly love Ghostbusters? And it seems that people that truly love Ghostbusters truly love this movie. And that makes me happy.
3: Uh, I was okay with it. I mean, I had some skepticism and then I watched uh, Red Letter Media do their half in the bag on Ghostbusters and their critique kind of falls in line with stuff I was afraid about and uh that's not to say that they're right and it's not to say that I won't enjoy it but I I worry because I tend to have very similar perspectives on things as the red letter media folks and so watching that I I am a little I'm a little uh anxious about seeing it uh it to me sounds like the last third of the movie might get a little too Reference heavy hmm. to the point where it might be identical to the ending of the first movie, uh, but uh, but I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Well, um, Some I, people waste I, it.
4: We'll say time is cyclical, so it's just time for ghosts well, to come back. <laughs>
3: it, it, it comes down to something where, like, their big critique, and this is something I can get behind, is that the original Ghostbusters is a comedy film. It's it's uh, a cynical movie about a, some schlubs who essentially become exterminators. And that nostalgia was totally ant- antithetical to kind of the, the humor of the first movie. So it's weird to have a movie that's so heavily dependent upon nostalgia as part of the value proposition of the film. And, and I can totally get behind that sort of idea. That, now, that doesn't mean that if you watched it and you enjoyed it, you were wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I hope everyone who saw it really enjoyed it, because I'd rather people have a good time at the movies. I just I have a feeling that I'm going to have a similar reaction to the Red Letter Media guys.
4: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we'll have to watch it and then talk about it after we do, because I will be curious.
3: Let me ask you a question, Ariel. This isn't this isn't an official question question, so we don't need to play the music. But uh, when is a zombie movie not a zombie movie? When it's
4: uh, machines instead of organic life.
3: Yeah, there you go. You just described the plot to Mother slash Android.
4: I'm sure glad you said that because, yeah, this is a, a thriller fantasy trailer that just came out. It's going to be a Hulu original. It comes out on December 17th. Um, and it features Chloe Grace Moritz, Algie Smith and Raul Castillo. And I was like, OK, yeah, I like sci-fi. I like androids. I've, I've read, you know, iRobot and Asimov's theses on... <laughs> artificial intelligence and I'm like I could see you know we've seen plenty of stuff where that goes wrong this is going to be something new and fun and it yeah it looks like 28 days later a walking dead with androids
3: yeah no it it evokes so much zombie movie imagery Mm -hmm. that it just feels like there are zombies except except these androids yep that's I mean it's it uh, that's not to say that the people working on it did a bad job it's not the the trailer looks good the acting might be amazing Uh, but it does feel like this could easily have been a zombie movie and in fact is a zombie movie but for you know with a little flip of a switch so to speak we just Mm -hmm. changed the zombies to androids and and that's it like the the premise appears to be that you know people made androids to help do menial tasks. This is going to come back to play when we get to our mashups after the break. (laughs) And then, uh, then one day they just, all the androids snapped and became these kind of killing machines that were just hunting down and eliminating humans. And the characters in the movie are a young couple expecting their first child and they are trying to to make it from the middle of the eastern seaboard, is what it looks like, up mm-hmm. to Boston, where apparently the humans have established a, a sanctuary. So yeah. that's I, the plot. But yeah, like if you watch that trailer, you're going to think, wow, this is a zombie movie.
4: It, it also gave me a little bit of like a, the stand vibe with the trying to go cross country while pregnant. Um, it also gave me a little bit of a vibe of A Quiet Place, because the way to avoid the robot zombies is to be quiet. And the mom in that was also pregnant. So
3: there's a bit of a children of men thing going in there Uh, too, right? Like Uh. there's, there's, there's a lot of, yeah, you, you have, you have in our notes, a mix of so many games, but really it's a mix of so many tropes. Yeah. Uh, doesn't, again, that doesn't mean it's going to be bad. It just means that it's going over some very familiar territory and we're, you know, I'm not entirely sold on it because, uh, I feel like I've seen the movie already, but Mm. Um, I I'll wait and here, actually, I'll have to wait. I don't have Hulu anymore. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that, that wraps up our news because we need to go take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to be some mashing ups of a, uh, a unexpl- inexplicably popular sitcom and a stalwart, uh, foundational science fiction film, but we'll do that.
5: lifelock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own join now and save up to 25 percent your first year at lifelock.com slash iheart that's lifelock.com slash iheart to save up to 25 percent identity theft protection starts here
6: you deserve a moment to yourself every single day
4: OK, so uh, as Jonathan alluded to before the break, we are mashing up the inexplicably popular sitcom that Jonathan's talking about is How I Met Your Mother. And the reason that we're mashing that up is because there is a spinoff that we're getting called How I Met Your Father, mm-hmm. um, which sounds like it follows exactly the same idea as the first one. You know, a woman is sitting down talking to her children about how she met her their dad in the year of 2021 with her close friends with all of the craziness of dating in the current age. So that's what that was like How I Met Your Mother. And so I guess that's what this new one will be too, just reversed.
3: Yeah. And it's going to be on Hulu. So again, I won't be watching it. But that's okay. Because I wouldn't be watching it anyway. I think as my mashup unfolds, you will understand my thoughts about the original <laughs> How I Met Your Mother. Uh yeah, so so the that series, in case you had never seen it, really it was it was more like it was more like Friends, right? It was more like a series like Friends where it's a group of friends and their personal lives and how they intertwine with each other and how their friends, th- their friendship was one of, uh, there was a lot of meanness in their friendship. Like people were pretty mean to each other uh, in in that group of friends to the point where I was like, I don't think I'd want to be friends with any of these people. I, um,
4: I feel like it's 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 um, a generational thing though because this movie, this show did come out Years ago at this point, which is ridiculous to me, but it did, you know, and I remember my friends and I used to be jokingly mean to each other. We're a lot nicer now because we've we've grown and we've matured um, and we've decided to tell each other how much we appreciate each other (laughs) instead of ragging on each other.
3: I think the slap bed alone kind of (laughs) sums it all up for me.
4: See, but I kind of it is funny to me, I think, because I've, I've, you know, improv friends, they can they can get kind of a wackadoo. And I can relate a little bit to me to to it, though you know I've never slapped somebody. But, like, I do watch slapsgiving often on Thanksgiving because it's it's funny to me. And in the end, they kind of come back together. So
3: I, I don't know. I think the idea of finding great joy in being able to slap someone as hard as you possibly can, just it strikes, it hits just the wrong nerve. It will never be charming. It will never you. be funny. I get you. So I, I, I definitely have a grudge against How I Met it, Your Mother, and I, I fully admit it. And it is apparent in my mashup.
4: It is interesting because. It is based on a real group of friends who are still friends and good friends. Um, but I do, I, I will be interested to see how they change because I watched all of How I Met Your Mother. I will probably watch How I Met Your Father. Um, and I will be interested to see how they change to fit today's sensibilities.
3: Yeah. And, and, and one other thing I want to point out because this is important for my mashup that people need to understand is that – Uh, one of the things that really bugged me about the series is the premise is it's the dad telling his kids about their mom Mm -hmm. who uh, has passed away and in fact passed away when they were much younger and he's telling them the story about how the two of them met. But in fact, once you get through the nine seasons of how I met your mother, the actual mother character is very much a minor character in that series. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it becomes a rug pull at the end where it's not really how I met your mother. It's really, hey, I'd really like to ask your aunt out on a date. Would you guys be cool with that? A
4: lot of people had issue with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, A lot of people had issue with that. Okay, so the other thing that we're mashing up is something we have talked about before, but not in this context, which is Blade Runner. And that's because... Uh, We have found out that Ridley Scott has written uh, a Blade Runner TV show and Bible or a pilot and Bible for a Blade Runner TV show uh, that is going to be a 10 part series and they're going to pitch it. And so maybe now on top of an Aliens series for, I guess, Hulu is where we're getting Aliens, we might get a Blade Runner series somewhere.
3: Yeah. And so Blade Runner, in case you're not familiar, again, classic uh, science fiction film that's based off a story called, uh, do androids dream of electric sheep? And it's a, a story about a, a retired police officer that a specific type of police officer called a blade runner. And a blade runner's job is to identify and track down and quote unquote, retire replicants. Replicants are synthetic humanoids. they, they, Look just like people, but they might have greater strength and speed and ability to tolerate pain and that kind of stuff. And they were specifically designed to do stuff like heavy labor and to replace humans into doing heavy labor. They are given a very limited lifespan of just four years. And the story of Blade Runner is that after there was a uh, a replicant uprising, Earth passed a law that said replicants are not allowed on planet Earth because it's too dangerous. So they should only be used in off-world, you know, like mining colonies and that kind of stuff. But four replicants have escaped and have come to Earth and so Deckard Rick Deckard the Blade Runner is brought back in service to track down the four replicants on the run and to retire them.
4: That's the story. So we're going to mash those up. Um, and I will say, as as cranky as Jonathan is about how I met your mother, uh, the idea of this mashup did make him almost spit out coffee that he said he drank three hours earlier. So maybe that was vomiting. And so he was really upset about this idea. But it could, uh, could be
3: a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I like both. to. I, I mean, I, I'm, I don't know if you titled yours how I met your replicant, but that's how I no. titled mine. <laughs>
4: no, that's not. But do you want to go first since we have your title?
3: Sure, sure. Mine's a short one. Uh, and again, uh, my apologies because. I couldn't resist throwing in all my criticisms into a mashup that's supposed to be funny. Here we go, How I Met Your Replicant. Rick Deckard has a problem. His two kids have no idea about their own history and seem completely uninterested in it, which can mean only one thing. It's time to set them down on the couch and spend the following nine years explaining how he met their replicant. I mean, mother. Yeah, mother. Now, obviously this is going to pose some problems. Like, by the end of the story, the kids won't be kids anymore. They'll actually be adults. But don't worry, we'll just take some video at the beginning of the story and we'll just reuse that video multiple times throughout the rest of the story because otherwise we're going to have to recast Deckard's kids and that's a whole thing I just don't want to get into. Anyway, Rick explains that it all started when Rick's friend, Roy Batty, told Rick he's going to propose to his longtime girlfriend, Pris. And by longtime girlfriend, I mean they've known each other for like a few months because Roy and Prince are both replicants and they have a limited lifespan of just four years. But that's not important for this story. That's what we call a tangent. And you know what? This story is actually going to be filled with a lot of tangents because you could argue convincingly that the entirety of this story is really just tangents that are strung along as a massive red herring and that ultimately the ending is a rug pull for the audience and that the entire premise of the show is a false one, but I'm getting ahead of myself. No, the important part is that this got Rick to thinking about love and to his own life and and his rapidly diminishing opportunity to find someone special of his own, and so he sets out to find that someone special. Now he goes to meet with Taffy Lewis, the owner of the Snake Pit Bar, but that ended up being a dead end. He and Taffy just were not compatible, and Taffy had no time for Deckard. So then Deckard goes out to the Tyrell Corporation, and there he meets a series of different Nexus Six models being prepared to ship off-world. But that too is a problem because Deckard is an Earth boy, and it's illegal to have replicants on Earth. And You know, their enhanced abilities and crazy desire to live longer than four years are a problem. Also, while Deckard's not necessarily opposed to a relationship that lasts a relatively short time, having a four-year hard out is even, that's a bit much. So we follow Deckard on his adventures as he meets various women, many of whom are at least some form of semi-celebrity that the audience knows. And we learn that Deckard is a really crappy guy. I mean, for reals. He's a crappy, crappy dude. For one thing, he's neurotic as heck. For another, he places unrealistic expectations on every potential partner he encounters. And thirdly, he's telling his kids these stories about how he essentially slept away his way around with most of the city in a quest to find Mrs. Wright. But ultimately, Deckard meets this woman. She's named Rachel. She has an anachronistic hairdo and a limited emotional range, which really appeals to Deckard. And so the two start dating after Deckard finds Rachel's light-up umbrella. Oh, by the way, there were like three years of stories that involved that umbrella, and a series of like near misses between Deckard and Rachel. But honestly, they all bleed into each other and they just get progressively more irritating. Anyway, we get to the point where Roy and Pris are supposed to marry and Deckard, weirdly enough, is meant to conduct the ceremony. So he gets to the vows and he turns to Pris and he says, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband, even if you come across a tortoise in the desert that's on its back and you refuse to help it? And Press, like, totally flips out. Like, she, she does not know how to handle this. So then Deckard turns to Roy, and he says, and to you, but then Roy stops him and says, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tannhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time, like tears in rain. And then Deckard remembers what his job is, and he totally retires prison Roy right then and there, which means he blasts them. And then he heads back to Rachel, who was standing in the back, and then he realizes she's a replicant too, so blam, he retires her. And that's how I met your replicant, he says to the kids. But hey, said the kids. Now that story's about us. Like, we didn't factor into that story at all. Oh, right, says Deckard. Well, then I met your mother and we totally did it. And you two were the result, but that didn't work out. I just didn't think your mother was actually that important in this story. And so I was wondering if you'd be cool if I asked out your aunt on a date. And then the two kids blast Deckard. The end.
4: <laughs> for, a ra- for a ranty mashup, that was pretty funny, Jonathan. Well done. Thank you. Okay, well, it's time to do my mashup. But!
2: your perfect home sweet home.
6: You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandys can give you that comforting pause.
4: Mine is called Blade Mother.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love the title.
4: Thank you. It's sadly the, the story is a lot more how I met your mother than Blade Runner, but uh we're gonna we're gonna get into it. So, the McLaren's bar gang was unhappy. You see, Ted Mosby wanted to get married, but every time he met a girl he liked and he thought liked him back, she would inexplicably disappear. Marshall and Lily wanted to have a baby, but kept inexplicably getting into fights when they didn't want to, and Robin kept getting beat out for all of her newscasting jobs by the same mystery person that she didn't know. Ted thought about it and suspected replicants because Ted's a huge nerd, and so the gang made a plan. They would all find and defeat their replicant doppelgangers, which must be at the bottom of this, and then be able to move on with their lives. The first person to find their doppelganger was Robin. You'd see turns out that this man-made version of her was applying for all the same newscasting jobs and beating Robin out. Well, because of this, Robin knew she couldn't beat the Replicant in the news arena, but she certainly could beat her in one other area. And that was wilderness survival. Thanks to Robin's dad wanting a boy and being very tough on her and teaching her to survive in the worst conditions, so Robin lured Replicant Robin into the wilderness. We don't know what happened, but only the original Robin came out. The next person to find their replicant doppelganger was Marshall. To add insult to injury, the replicant could grow this really cool mustache and Marshall just, he'd been trying for years, but he couldn't. Marshall did have one thing the replicant didn't have though, and that was a mighty slap. I I know you're thinking to yourself, replicants are super strong. Of course they could slap, but they are not built for slapping. So Marshall reared back and slapped the mustache right off his replicant counterpart, which he considered defeating the opponent because Marshall's a really nice guy. So he hummed a little tune and went on his merry way. Lily, however, uh, is not as nice and always wanted to keep up with her husband found her doppelganger next. Her doppelganger was a dancer and Lily was also an artist but more of a painter. But What Lily really had was her mastermind. She was conniving and she knew that her replicant really wanted to get out of the dancing game so she sent a fake scholarship to an art school in Seattle to her replicant and sent her on her merry way not caring what happened once the replicant got to Seattle. She didn't need to think that far ahead. So once Lily and Marshall's replicants were out of the way, they were off to make it babies. All right. Next was Ted. You see, Ted found his replicant, but his replicant was super cool. His replicant was a luchador. And not just any luchador, but a luchador that wrestled robots. And Ted knew that he could never defeat this robot wrestler and win. But that's when he saw it. His old girlfriend Rachel, who was hanging on the side of the ring where Te- replicant luchador Ted was, you see, replicant Ted had been stealing all of Ted's girlfriends for his own, and Ted never knew it. So Ted did what he could do—not wrestle robots, not wrestle luchadors. He went and he talked to Rachel. Rachel and Ted started making googly eyes at each other, and it distracted the luchador Ted and luchador replicant Ted got beat up by a robot and Rachel and Ted fell in love and they ran off and got married. But something still wasn't right with the gang. Why replicants for all of them? And why all at the same time? So they investigated and they traced out clues and they followed them back to a one Barney Stinson who was at the bottom of it all. You see, Barney was upset from being outed from their friend's group because he was super lecherous and self-centered. And so he hired a science company to make replicas of all his friends. But what Barney didn't expect was that these replicas would be their own people and have their own lives and their own thoughts. He thought they would be exactly his friends and he was wrong. The gang at finding this out, of course, was livid. Marshall was so angry, he raised his mighty slapping hand and with the might of a thousand Minnesota winters, slapped Barney's face so hard that all of the evil, evil horrible things were slapped out of him. Or were they? No, they They were. Or were they? Anyhow, the gang didn't know, but they were always quick to forgive. So they headed down to McLaren's bar to grab a drink and promptly forgot about the ordeal. And everyone lived happily ever after. Even Ted, who never realized Rachel, was also a replicant. The end. Also, it was well Thanksgiving. Done. I wanted to make it
3: topical. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. it was and so that scary. concludes our Thanksgiving special of Large Nerdron Collider. <laughs> you can put it right up there with things like Charlie Brown. So yes. <laughs> one other thing that both Ariel and I are thankful for, and I'm pretty sure I I can speak this in confidence, is we're thankful for you, our mm-hmm. our listeners, our community. Uh, very thankful for you to be part of this weird conversation that continues every week. And we want to you to be a bigger part of it. You know, please, if you have your own thoughts about a how I met your mother uh, and Blade Runner mashup, or maybe you think I'm so just terribly unfair and completely off base. Uh, you can totally write us and let us know. Just be nice about it. Our email address is lnc at iheartmedia.com.
4: Yeah, you can also reach out to us on social media if you just want to send a quick hello or thought. Um, we, on Twitter, we are lnc underscore podcast. And on Instagram and Facebook, we are Large Nerd Drink Collider. And I just want to say a thank you to Clara and Gregory and Aaron and Penny and Elliot, who have all written us and sent us their thoughts on episodes and their favorite things and uh, ideas for mashups. We really appreciate hearing from you and we hope to hear from more of you.
3: Yes. And until next time, I am Jonathan. Oh, so thankful Strickland.
4: And I am Ariel uh, stuffing Caston. I really got to get better at these. (laughs) You really do.
5: Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Hey guys,
6: back at the playground again, huh?
1: Yep. You know what this playground could use?
5: A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go
1: surfing. I oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A Redwood Forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah,
0: ski slopes. Let's
1: do it. Um, ten girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait.